The Old Testament lesson is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, 4, 17, 5 through 2. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, <clears throat> along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ 
forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in the love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the gospel of our Lord. Father, we heard in that second lesson, that epistle lesson, that we are to be your people, not simply in word but in deed. That's not always easy for us to do, and it isn't always easy for us to understand. Give us a little glimpse of it as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may remember it wasn't that long ago when it was kind of a popular thing for Christian people to do to wear bracelets or whatever that had WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? Maybe some of you wore them or had various things that expressed that thought. What would Jesus do? And it was indeed an effort by Christian people to say that as I live my life, I want to do what, well, what the epistle lesson, what Paul said in the epistle lesson, I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like Jesus. We, I want to learn from Jesus, as St. Paul said in that epistle lesson, we need to be. What would Jesus do? But it begs the question, What would Jesus do? I don't mean in simple situations, but in many of the difficult challenges 
that you and I face in life, what would Jesus do? We would love it if there were always clear rules. We would love it if there, were, if there was somebody who could always answer that question for us. Because there are many dilemmas in your life and mine where we have to make a decision and it isn't always clear to us what we should do to say nothing about what would Jesus do. There are people who align themselves often with radical kind of teachers because then they've got somebody that answers the question for them. So they don't have to think about it and incidentally don't have to be responsible for what they do because I've set up so-and-so as my prophet and they tell me. Sometimes people go to pastors and say, Pastor, what should I do? Which of course is an easy way of getting an answer to my dilemma, what should I do? And I can even add the Jesus component to it because pastor must be closer to Jesus than I am. Some of you still believe that or not? I don't. My wife's here to say, no, that ain't true. But, but we, we look for somebody to help us with that because it isn't always easy. The society and the culture in which we live challenges us on all kinds of issues to establish a position not only that we have, not only that the government has, but that Jesus would have. There were some surveys that were recently conducted among young people in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our denomination, and they were polled on some of the moral issues that we face as a nation and that each of us faces as an individual. Now you would think that a lot of young LCMS uh, kids, all raised pretty much the same, would come up with pretty much the same positions. And this was done at a gathering of Christian youth. So it wasn't kids who just had the name, I'm Lutheran, they were fairly active in it. And those who conducted the polls were shocked to find out that young people have very different opinions about things like abortion or gay, gay lifestyle than their parents. And different from what is kind of thought of as the traditional position of our church body. And if we were to take a poll of all of us who are in church today and were to ask what are your opinions on those issues or add assisted suicide to it or add a capital punishment to it, you would assume that we'd all have pretty much the same position, but the truth is, I doubt that. I'm sure that there'd be different, different percentages of people who would respond differently to it. It seems that everything gets changing and gets challenged in our nation, for one thing. We have the Defense of Marriage Act from one president, then another one comes in and and the President and the Supreme Court change it to say no, marriage is not defined as the union of a man and a woman, it's, it's defined differently and so our nation has changed its standards on who gets married. And we, we kind of wonder, we say, well that's the, that's the nation. But even the church does. Even the church does. Now we're not a legalistic church where all the orders come down from above, 
but we certainly are a church that has positions on things. So, so what is the position of our church in terms of what would Jesus do? What is the position of our church on divorce? Now, some of us have been around this church for a lot of years. We remember what the position was. You know, you sort of, well, it was forbidden unless it was adultery or desertion. And if it was any other reason, somebody was expelled from the church. Nobody talks about that anymore. I remember pastors sitting around with one another because we're challenged by these things. You know, people come to us and say, Pastor, what's, what would Jesus do? And I remember pastors sitting around saying to one another in the privacy of just a pastor gathering, do you, do you marry couples that are living together? And I remember early in my ministry, the vast majority of them said no. And I've been to many pastor gatherings lately. It's retired guys don't go to, I guess. But, but as I moved along the way, that changed. That changed. And then you add to it the fact that the people you love and I love that are in our families, that are our closest friends, choose different ideas and different behavior patterns from what we decided or I decided or you decided Jesus would do. So what do we do then? When we're not even sure what we should do, now we don't know how to react to what people do. The truth is that sometimes we react poorly. Sometimes we are tempted to be so convicted about our rightness. I mean, these are things where you can't easily go to the Bible and pull up a verse that answers it. <clears throat> sometimes we are so convicted about our rightness that we push everybody else away who has a different opinion. The truth is we probably do that because we're scared to death that their ideas challenge ours and we're right back to that what would Jesus do scratching our head thing. Or sometimes our reaction is that we have no compassion for anybody who genuinely thinks differently from how we think. We want them to think like we do and they don't so we just exclude them and have no compassion for them or no forgiveness for them. We want it for ourselves, but we've decided God probably doesn't either, so I won't either. Or on the other flip side of that, where we shove everybody out that's different, on the flip side of that is we adopt the posture and we say, there is no absolute. There is no answer to that question, what would Jesus do? And everything's okay, and God's okay with anything and everybody as long as you really believe it's true. And then along comes the words of the Scripture in the second lesson today, the epistle lesson today, where Paul says, no, don't be like the Gentiles. So the Gentiles were basically, in his use of that term there, the non-believers. Don't, don't be like them. 
You didn't learn that from Christ. Be different. Be different from them. And yet we wonder, how do we apply that truth to the dilemmas of life each of us faces? Not simply the dilemmas of what do I do, but how do I react to people who see it differently from me? And yet, many times, also define themselves as being Christians. I don't have simple answers for you. I don't like simple answers. Simple answers often are simplistic. And there's a difference between simple and simplistic. But Paul does say that we need to know who we are and whose we are. His advice begins by saying, put on Christ. Care about what would Jesus do. Because through faith you belong to him. Never forget, as the scriptures teach us elsewhere, that we are not citizens of this world. We are ultimately citizens of heaven through God's grace in Jesus Christ that we belong to Christ and not to public opinion. That doesn't mean we always know what Jesus would do, but we need to care about it. And we need to make our personal decisions based on who we are in Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, would I have made a different decision if I were not in Christ? Am I basing my decision on what Jesus would do, at least what I think he would? or on what public opinion says it ought to be. And then if you noticed in, in the lesson today, Paul having said, don't be like the Gentiles, but put on Christ, then he begins <clears throat> to make that rather practical. He starts listing some, some moral decisions that people need to make, like don't steal, go to work. He makes a list of things. Live a life of truth, he says. Don't lie. Live a life of truth, and then you don't have to cover lies. And live a pure life. And avoid the kind of behavior that destroys you as a person of God in Christ. And yes, follow your conscience, knowing conscience can err. But follow your conscience, because it's always dangerous to go against conscience. And build people up. Don't tear them down. Because Christ does not tear people down. Oh, and he says, be angry, because that's a human emotion, but but don't let the sun set on your anger, and don't destroy people from your anger. That's what Jesus would do. And have mercy on people, because God is always a merciful God. Even when he's displeased, he is a merciful God. And be a healer. Be a healer among the relationships you have with people, not one who divides people, and ultimately share the love of Christ with one another. And when you deal with the lives of other people, we can forgive the sins of other people without condoning their actions. So don't make your forgiveness contingent on whether somebody complies 
Let forgiveness from you and me to others be as God's forgiveness is for me in Christ. And we can accept other people in our love and the love of Christ without condoning what they're doing. And realize that we will only bring people to Jesus by exemplifying Jesus as best we can understand it. And let's understand that our example of Christ will change people over time, not instantly. The love of God that you and I cherish so much why we're here, the love of God we cherish so much is because God's put up with me for a long time, not just in a moment, has forgiven a lot, not just a couple of things. We are, the Bible says, created in the likeness of God, which certainly doesn't mean we look like God, he's a spirit, but what the Bible means by the likeness of God is you and I represent God in this world. So if people want to know what God looks like, if people want to know what Jesus looks like, they've got to look at us. Man, that's tough, but they've got to look at us. That's what it is to be a Christian. Many years ago, King Franz Joseph of Austria died. <clears throat> he had been a great king, and so he was to be buried in a crypt in a church uh, in, in Austria, in Vienna. And so they brought his casket to the door of the church, and they knocked on the door, a symbolic act, they knocked on the door, and the doorkeeper opened the door and said, who is here that wishes to be buried? And they said, Franz Joseph King. And the doorkeeper said, I do not know him, and closed the door. They knocked again. He opened the door. Who is here? Franz Joseph, Emperor of Austria, Hungary. I do not know him. And he closed the door. They knocked again. Who is here, he said. Franz Joseph, a sinner redeemed by the blood of Christ. Then bring him in, they said. Because despite our titles, despite our achievements or lack thereof, it's what we are. We are sinners. We make mistakes. We answer what would Jesus do wrongly sometimes. We are sinners who recognize that we are redeemed by Christ. When we err, our sins are forgiven. When we deal with wrongly with others, not only are we forgiven, but we learn to pass it on to others. That's what he means, put on a new self, created in Christ. We may always wrestle to know exactly what that means, but we need to care about what it means and strive to put it on. Please rise for prayer.